0: Counselor Accents Podcast, two school counselors who love their jobs. Oh, and they happen to have Southern accents, too. Bless their hearts.
1: I'm Kim Crumbly. I'm Laura Rancourt. Together we are Counselor Accents. Uh, what's happening with you, friend? You're still at you're, work is over, but yet there you are. I think I you hide at work. I avoid my family. There you go. I don't blame you. I've wait. met them, and mm-hmm. I don't blame you. Yeah. I don't blame you, but you look super cool. You look super good. Thank you. It's these sparkly earrings. It is. That's what I love. Uh, tri- uh,
0: tribute to Dolly. Tribute that to Dolly, and, right there. That and my high hair, which I can't help but notice that your hair—hear my it's, heart—it's been yes. struggling lately.
1: Your hair. It, it and I, I thank you for noticing, and that is that is my love language when you when you. Uh, criticize me. You know what that means? I love you. Likewise. uh, And yes, because I have, uh, you know, I'm long hauler now. (laughs) I'm a long hauler with the COVID. And so I have, I have, I have actually made my second appointment to go back to my doctor because I still have the rawness right here. And I know I'm a hypochondriac. I get it, but I have all the rawness here and I am just, could sleep at any moment. That's new for me. Like I could get up on this table right now and go to sleep. So those of you who are listening, who are long haulers, and I know, you know, I'm not making light because there are some who are really hauling it, but my husband, everything is fine with him until about after he recovered from COVID, he cannot stand the smell of hairspray. I live off hairspray. I drink hairspray. Yeah. Yeah. He may be lying. I don't know, but he is using the, my, what is these glands called? The or something glands now cannot handle the olfactory. Oh, is that it? I think it is. You know that because of your roaming tongue disease, is that connected to the olfactory? I don't know. Maybe. So yes, all that's messed up. So he smells everything now. Everything.
0: He can't handle the smell of hairspray.
1: No, and he can stink to high heaven and I have to put up with it, but everything stinks now to him. Everything.
0: So, now remind me not to come within 20 minutes. No, you, would, you would kill him. i got an EpiPen ready for when yeah. you were anywhere around him with your hairspray. Because it is like it seeps out of my pores. I've used hairspray. The hole in <laughs> the ozone layer is because of me. I'm free right to society. Right hair.
1: Right there. You are the hole in the ozone layer. In the ozone layer. Do you know that I have lived in the country my entire life, like lived in the country, Alabama, rural, and I did not know that farmers who have cattle have to pay a gas tax? I didn't know that. Like we're talking that kind of gas. They have to pay a gas tax. So you didn't know it either. No, I didn't. Well, that makes me feel better, but- but we, I am surrounded by cattle. Yeah. We don't have them, but you know, neighbors do, and they have to pay a gas tax. And I do mean that. I know. I know. When you talked about the ozone layer that there, that's where your mind went. Well, it is because it is affecting. Is it the ozone layer that that affects the gas tax?
0: I don't know. I don't know let's let's stick to school counseling something we know a little bit
1: more about I just find that very intriguing and I really thought that you you are such a middle schooler sometimes I thought you'd fall out laughing when I said that but you took it (laughs) you took it well I'm very proud of you thank you for the maturity that you have shown
0: thank you so um that is not the way that you normally speak to me you don't normally give me compliments it takes your breath away it it made me speechless for a second, and it's the opposite of what our guest is talking about today. Oh, uh, the whole reason yes. that I brought our guest on, I can tell that, like you're already influenced um, by our guest. So we have brought on a, I'm going to say a specialist in. Well, I don't want to say she's a specialist in relational aggression because that makes it sound like she's the mean girl. And she's not, she just knows what to do with
1: relational aggression, which she, and go ahead. He has asked that we not use the term relational aggression. That is news to me. It's outdated. It, it was news to me whenever. It was news to me too. And uh, so I don't know, that's going to be a hard one. I mean, you know, I was saying guidance counselor up until. <laughs> Carol, catch <kept> your mouth. <laughs> Thank you, Carol. It takes a long time for old uh, teach a old dog new tricks. So yes, this is not. It, she she wants us to call it something else. So the interesting thing about her is that uh, she works. Will you tell the interesting a lot of the interesting things about there, her? But this is yes. So the movie
0: Mean Girls, which was written and directed and produced and acted in and all the things by Tina Fey was inspired by the book, Queen Bees and Wannabes. Well, the author of that book started this company. And so the person that we have on our podcast today, Carrie Goldstein, is, um, she works for that company. She works with the author of the book. So that's who we're going to be hearing from. So I'm ready to dive in. Let's go. So I'm Laura
1: Rankhorn. And I'm Kim Crumbley. And together we are Counselor Accent. And I am in my vehicle pulled over somewhere outside Atlanta and, uh, coming back from a meeting in South Carolina, Savannah. And I told Laura, you said, I've got this one.
0: I can do it but by myself. I, I, in fact, I'd love to do it by myself. Please let me do this by myself and you said and I
1: said absolutely not so I have actually been pulled over because I was afraid I'd get in traffic so I've been pulled over about an hour but I did get a Brewster's ice cream that's and worse. then still couldn't get on and so I'm on my phone so I apologize to our guests for that but we are so excited we're so excited Laura this is a this is going to be a great one this is one that we've talked about for a
0: long time and we have made it happen. In fact, um, Carrie, you and I were just talking and I said, you were so gracious before, whenever we had to cancel at a last, at the last minute, like we do have to do sometimes because, you know, who knows at any given podcast <laughs> moment, we may be under a table with a student or you just, and this is after we do these after school, but still sometimes you're under the table with a student after school,
2: but anyway, for many hours for many hours. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> So we have Carrie Goldstein with us and Carrie, you have quite an impressive bio, um, right now you work with, uh, cultures of dignity where that's what you're going to be talking about with us today, your role there, and you've done it all. It seems like you've been a middle school counselor, a high school counselor, you're a mom, um. So tell us and our listeners a little bit about you and then we're gonna get go and into some of our questions. Okay,
2: great. Uh, yes, I am, uh, have been all of and am all of those things. Uh, I was I worked at a school for 15 years. Um, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, and it was a, it's a K through 12 here, a private school here. Um, and my children go there. And when my oldest became a freshman, we decided that she perhaps needed a little space. From her mom who knew way too much. Uh, my joke with her was girl I know who took the vodka to the party and who threw up on the Uber and who did what every Monday morning I said you don't I don't need to be you know, let's let your mistakes come home and not through school and we'll talk about it that way so um, it was really hard to leave I love the school environment and I cried but it was the right thing for our family uh, to do to give her that space. Uh, And then Cultures of Dignity, um, Rosalind Wiseman, who is the co-founder with Charlie Kuhn, uh, she had written a book called Masterminds and Wingmen years ago, um, and I had already been using her curriculum, Owning Up, and those things. And she used some of our students, and she would come in to Louisville to meet with them, and. I would be in charge of taking her around and we professionally just really clicked. Um, She also, it helps that I'm in Kentucky and she likes good bourbon and good food. So that definitely helped the relationship. Uh, So I was already consulting for them a little bit and I was editing and looking at lessons. I was doing a few trainings here and there where I would uh, go to a school and work with them. And then uh, I did not, I always have to be clear, like I did not quit to go work for them, but they were ready for someone to come work for them when I was quitting. So it was a good, uh, it was a good fit. So I've been with them uh, in earnest for about four years, but I probably got trained in the curriculum myself 15 plus years ago. It was one of the few curriculums. That I found when uh, I was a middle school counselor that really resonated with the kids and that they responded to. So that's how I started working with that. Um, and then since then, I've just, I love it. I get to go to schools and consult and talk with them. And I love schools. You know, when you work at a school, you're kind of fascinated by how everybody does things differently or the same. And kids are the same no matter where you are. Um, and so it's been a really good transition for me. Um, and I really enjoy it. I love, it's a, we're a really small group and I really love it. It's like a family and it's been great.
0: How exciting. So for our listeners, the name Rosalind Wiseman might ring a bell because she is the author of a book that Kim, you kept close to you um, and took it around and touted it as sort of your school counseling Bible for a while. Um, but the, uh, she's the author of Queen Bees and Wannabes. Mm-hmm. and, um, so Kim, I know that book was very instrumental in your school counseling life.
1: Absolutely. I have asked every parent to read the book who has girls of a certain age, or even if they're you know they know they're going to I want them to be prepared and not hit from behind on on how um how sometimes we get into these situations and with with our and and I know before well let me finish what I was going to say about the book a a teacher a fellow teacher uh, at my school I was the school counselor she gave me the book and I read it and it just was finally the thing that I felt like matched my need the book matched the need and what I was actually seeing in students Uh, but now I want to say relational aggression and Laura tells me that we're going to change the wordage of that we're very excited because we really have always called it relational aggression Uh, so I want our listeners to know that's kind of what we're talking about but we're not calling it that anymore tell us what what we're calling that and why
2: well, I don't I don't necessarily have a replacement phrase, um, but we really talk about the idea of re- relational aggression is really just about people being in conflict. Um, and that's where our students are. That's, conflict is inevitable. We all experience conflict. Um, and at the age that we're talking about it, these are social emotional skills that kids don't have. You know, they don't know how to handle conflict. And so sometimes that comes off as, yes, aggression towards another person in a way that we really wish they wouldn't. Um, and, you know, kids are trying out those different personalities. They're seeing what works and if they get a good response, okay, I might stick with that for a little bit when well, that would felt good. And I got a little positive, uh, feedback or not even positive feedback, but whatever I wanted to happen happened. And I don't really care about how I got there, you know, it just happened. So we, uh, we call ourselves a val- a principles-based company. We have principles that we, um, use in all of our work. And one of them is conflict is inevitable and collaboration is essential. But the first part about that of conflict is inevitable is uh, what we base a lot of our curriculum and our things on is that it is inevitable and it's it's not bad that it happens, but how do we work through it and how do we manage it? How do we apologize on the other side when we mess up, even if we, know, if we think we know how to handle conflict? Um, and so, yeah, we look at it as just <coughs> a sense of, of Kids, young people working through conflict that don't have the skills yet, and that's what we're here to help them help them work through.
1: So I can hear, I I can hear counselors all over the United States saying, "What do we do with this conflict?" And 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 we know that generally this is girls, mm-hmm. and it it kind of if you've watched the movie Mean Girls, it's kind of along the lines of of what causes this this i don't know this mentality Mm -hmm. that causes this conflict and boys can be involved in it too and i've had boys involved in it but not to the extent that i have had girls involved and it is let me say one of the hardest things i think school counselors can break up i think Mm -hmm. we try everything and it's so hard to break it up um so i don't know where if there's a question there other than to say, what, what do you think is behind this conflict among girls of a certain, that begins at a certain age and, and can go through middle school and even into high school sometimes? Adulthood.
2: yeah. There was a second yes, book on Queen bee Moms and Kingpin Dads. Yeah, it can go on uh, into adulthood. Uh, what I do laugh, my senior, I have a senior and a sophomore, you know, 18 and almost 16 year old. And my 18 year old came home from school the other day and she's like, oh. the boys they're so dramatic and blah 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 and i said yeah like you know we kind of let them think that they're not involved and not as dramatic but boys tend to drop these little bombs you know and then walk away and watch the girls spin around it so while they may not be um showing it as much outwardly they are definitely either often instigating i mean i just would laugh i'd see this boy come up and you know who told you that well my guy friend told me that and then the whole thing unravels as they go through um so why it is it is yes girls tend to live in it longer i think just because they are allowed to show their emotions longer and it is in some ways expected of them unfortunately we try to flip the script a little bit on uh Respect and dignity. We, one of our other principles, is that everyone deserves to be treated with dignity. Everyone has the same amount. You know, no one's better or worse. We have we. It's inherent uh, and respect. Um, we don't hate the word at all. It's it's on the walls of schools across the country, and it should be. But we try to pull out what these words are and what they mean, because respect really means to look back at, to look at someone's actions. You know, from the Latin roots, whereas dignity means to be worthy. <laughs> Um, and what happens oftentimes with respect, when we use those words in school, like let's say two girls starting in you know, upper elementary or wherever it is, have a conflict, you know, we'll tell kids things like, um, you know, you don't have to be nice, but you have to respect them. And that can be really confusing for kids to say, but wait, you know, they just um, sat with their back to me the entire lunch period. And then they talked about me in front of my friends and all these other things that I have to respect them. You know, Hold on a minute, like those actions, don't feel worthy of my respect, treating with dignity means you kind of don't have to respect their actions and maybe them, but you don't get to seek revenge. You don't get to talk bad about them behind their back. You don't, uh, they're still a human. So you have to treat them with that inherent worth, but it helps pull out the actions from the person for kids sometimes, um, and going a little deeper with respect. It often can mean, um, especially for kids that are marginalized in our schools that maybe aren't, heard or seen or seen a different way at times respect can really mean obey um it becomes a power struggle between adults and kids at times with you know you will respect me now we're not talking about necessarily that today we're talking more about the relationship between kids so sometimes pulling out those words help them understand the difference a little bit so that when you have a conversation with them about the conflict that's going on um, it's helpful for them we also take that piece uh, we do have in the Oding up curriculum uh, what we call seal. And it's uh, an acronym, which I used to laugh because my goal in life was not to be the cheesy counselor. When I was a school counselor, I was like, I don't want to be the lady that people are making fun of because I talk about, and I'm, and there's nothing wrong when they're little, but like warm fuzzies and cool pricklies when they're 17, you know, I don't want to be doing that. Um, and so oftentimes I wouldn't necessarily use the acronym because I knew my eighth graders would roll their eyes or, you know, you could kind of use it in sixth grade. Um, but basically seal is a process that you go through when you're in conflict. And we tell kids that it's also about practice. It's not about perfection. So if they do any part of seal, which I'll explain what those four are in a moment, they're winning, you know, they're improving. Um, so the first one is stop, you know, is this the right time and place to confront the person that I want to confront? If you walk up to a table full of kids and you want to, you know, get your point across to one person, they did something you didn't like, that's probably not the best place to do it. Uh, You're gonna get some stickers. You're gonna get people say, why are you so uptight? You know, all of those things that we say, why do you care? So maybe that moment isn't the time and place. So that's the first one. I always joke with kids. I'm like, if you can just stop, you're, you know, you're winning that day. Um, E is for explain, you know, explaining specifically what you don't like. I really, it really hurt my feelings or I really didn't like that you told Susie the secret. I thought I could trust you with my secrets. The A is affirm and acknowledge you know, kind of reaffirming what you said, but then also acknowledging, I'm sorry. Uh, Sometimes you may not know what you did. So part of it is, is there something that I did that made you want to do that? Or owning that, you know what, and I know I told your secret a month ago, and now I know how that feels. You know, let's maybe agree to not do that again, you know, kind of getting there. But uh, acknowledging if there's any part that you had. Um, I joke when I work with adults sometimes of like, it's kind of like a marriage or a relationship or a roommate, you have to own that you, there might be something you may have done also, um, in that moment. i mean, and then the L is for lock, lock in, lock out, or take a break. Um, that can sometimes be a little bit more confusing for younger kids that don't, uh, sometimes they think locking out means I get to ignore you completely and not talk to you. So you really have to work with them on what that looks like. Um, but I worked a lot of times with high school kids on what does it look like to to gently pull away from a friendship that's not healthy um, and locking it out doesn't, you know, taking a break doesn't mean locking out forever. Um, We also use the example of Velcro sometimes, you know, sometimes you pull it apart and put it together. It sticks a little differently. You know, it might look a little different the next time you put it together. Um, And so going through those steps with kids at least helps them address the conflict on their end you know, on what, what they're doing and what they can kind of control now, kids look at you, like you expect me to do what? So a lot of times we'll walk through the steps um, as a group, you know, and I'll let them, I'll let them tell me what won't work, what won't work about that. Sometimes if I would do seal and, they, and I could tell like they roll their eyes, I'd be like, okay, what do you hate about it? You know, tell me what you hate about it. And then sometimes through the process, they'd end up being like, okay, maybe that would work. Maybe I shouldn't have said it in front of his three best friends because then they all defended him and it became a bigger deal. You know, Maybe I shouldn't have been responding to that text with my two friends behind me telling me what to say. <laughs> you know, Maybe that wasn't the right place to do that. Um, and so getting them through that process. Uh, we also talk a little bit about social emotional learning. We try to relate it to, this was one of our, um, I should say this, should have said this at the very beginning. We also have young people advise us on everything we do. So we have an editorial advisory council. And there are kids from all over the world. We have a couple kids in Ghana, a couple kids in South America, and then a lot in the States. And so they read and edit all that we do. So that, I think that does help with buy-in and why that these lessons resonate uh, with kids often. Um, but one of the uh, kids one day was like, what about if you relate it to Fortnite? I don't know how popular Fortnite still is, but what it was all the rage for, you know, that year or two that, you know, you're not good the first time you play. You know, you're not an expert getting to level whatever. And again, I know nothing about it. My girls didn't play it a lot. So I'm probably using the wrong terminology, but you're not, I mean, Pac-Man would be what I could refer to, but you know, you're not on level 20 the first day. You don't understand how it works. You're still figuring out which, which things to use on the console and things like that. So that's what social emotional learning also is. And that's what handling conflict is. I am still not an expert at it. Um, I'm working on it. I have one family member that if he knew how often I threw him under the bus, would probably be upset. But my brother and I are really, really opposite. And for a long time, we would be in conflict and I would get teary and red-faced and not want to talk anymore because we were so different. Um, And I have learned to um, use some of these techniques a little bit, like stop, You know, are you getting fired up? Because I would tend to get fired up a little quickly. And then I would kind of explain, and I've also started using questions like, tell me why that's important to you. You know, tell me why that means something to you. And that gives me a minute to listen and think. Um, And that's what I also tell kids. You have to be ready to listen to the other side and accept a little bit of what you did. I also would use the phrase sometimes, what are they going to tell me? If I go check in with them right now, what would they say? What would I be surprised by? What are you leaving out? Um, I'm going to stop for a second to make sure that I, like I said, I tend to ramble a little bit, so I hope that's making sense. It is. It's yeah.
1: It's great. Yes, it I like those practical. You can yes. start now using these things. So yes, it does make sense. Um, so I love those. Those are practical things, and even as adults, we can use and and that's you know when you put it in the acronym for us and um, so those are practical things that that I can I think we can use. Uh, when when we talk about conflict and correct me and help me because I want to grow in this I'm thinking of more equitable and so much of what I deal with is the uh, I don't know if it's endorphins I have I, let's just say we have a, a we'll call her Jill and Jill gets a high out of uh, gathering her posse mm-hmm. and um so I, you know and, and if you don't go along with that then you're going to be on the outs and so dealing with a lot of that, and I love what you said about the velcro because a lot yeah. of frenemies we deal with a lot of yeah. you know <clears throat> they want so desperately to be the 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 main uh the queen they want to be so desperately to be in um but they'll put up with stuff that they shouldn't be putting up with so I, am I right in thinking that there is some kind of high that you get when you, when you are, I, I don't know, what am I, what am I saying? Uh, does you know, I mean,
2: you know, it, it totally does because sometimes you're, you, you can't imagine like, really, what do you get out of this? Um, I don't, and I don't, I'm not, um, a total, a scientist, so I'm not a hundred percent sure if they're getting endorphins. Yeah. But I do think they get what they want, you know, whether they get it begrudgingly or not. Um, and I do think sometimes there's a pattern of, um, you know, the the power that I'm gaining for what, in whatever way I'm gaining it um, by any means necessary. I mean, we've also seen those kids that are really, uh, you know, we hate to use the word popular a little bit, but that are really well liked by all groups because they're actually nice. Yeah, and that you kind of like, why can't we all follow that? But that doesn't always seem to work. Um, but I do think there is, there has to be that uh, the change in the dynamics of the friend group, which is a little bit harder to infiltrate because it is, it's a fear. And that's when kids also act out when they socially feel unsafe. Um, they, that's when they tend to act out and um, not their best behavior. I used to do the Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. Um, and I would put it up because they would talk about like when there'd be a flood, they'd say, well, why would people loot their own neighborhood? And I would kind of put it up there and I'd say, well, when these needs aren't met, you do things you would, you you would steal, which you never would normally steal, but you're so worried about your safety and your belonging and all those things. And I had one class one year that was just, they were so fun. They talked about everything. And we talked about how, um, you know, kids could be social looters, you know, like they were socially looting because they would do things that they know were wrong, but they would turn around and do them to a good friend, um, even though it felt bad and they can't necessarily understand why. And some of it, I mean, honestly, it's just brain development, you know, that like they don't remember um, two seconds later kind of how mean they were or um, what they did wrong. All they know is that they still get to be sort of the leader right now and they're willing to to flush it out. So I always say also it's not, um, when I was at my last high school, There'd be conversations around, you know, we do all these things, and you know, we do character education, and we're doing the advisory, and, and the we have to remember the goal a little bit is not to create. Um, I and this was a little bit more discipline than friendship, but not to create those robots. Um, kids are going to make mistakes, but how do we kind of shepherd them through it? And also the other side, when you look at friendships like that, how do we how do we um, tap into that to Jill's. Uh, kind side? How do we remind her that that's okay. And that's in there. Um, how do we encourage her friends to do that? You know, and also part of that is seal, like part of that is standing up in those moments when they, when they can, that feel a little bit safer. And what do those look like? Uh, I would also encourage kids when you're talking to them about standing up, we tend to put words in their mouth mouths and say, Oh, you should say, and then I would always say now, how would you really say it? What would it really sound like in your words? And also if you ever do the seal and they give you a scenario and they tell you that they would hold hands and skip down the hallway and be best friends, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what you think I want to hear. What would that really look like? And you have to really push them to be honest about it. And sometimes the big group discussion is better first. If, In particular, if there's a click, again, these words that, you know, we've been around forever, but still work, yeah. if there's a group of friends that are really struggling causing issues that power dynamic is there talking about it um in a group a little bit away from them as is, as in it exists and it's out there how does that now also affect uh you all and then also i would i let them lead the conversation us telling them like did you guys know there's peer pressure and this is how it works and this is what it looks like they have stop talking to you and stop listening. Cause they think that you are old and have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. So to say to them, um, I did it with dating one time and I learned so much that there's this whole thing that you're talking first and then you have a thing and then you're dating and then your boyfriend, girlfriend, and then maybe you're official. I was like, wow, there's so many steps that I had no <laughs> idea existed. So asking them, you know, I would tease and say, okay, I'm the old lady in the room you know, what, how does it look like uh, when friendships fight? Tell me what that looks like and let them kind of talk about it a little bit be like, okay, well, how does that feel? And how could we counterbalance that? And, but letting them lead that conversation really helps. Um, Cause first of all, they don't get to be the experts in their own lives often. And again, that's one of our principles is young people are the experts in their own lives. And in particular, even if we thought we could relate Before the pandemic, we couldn't because technology is so different now. And now with the pandemic, we have no idea what it's like to be a young person right now at all. So leading with that and letting them lead the conversation can also help. I used to like to do the big picture and then narrow it down a little bit. Okay, how can we help you next time you have an argument? Not that you're having one now, of course, but next time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think you were an amazing counselor. Oh, thank you. I mean, just listening to you, just roll these off, so.
2: Well, and the owning up curriculum, and I, I'm not trying to just say like sell, 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 but the owning up curriculum was really helpful because what it, it really is student centered as far as student led, um, where a lot of the activities are, um, again, they are a little bit away. Like I w- we just did one the other night. I was showing one about bystanding, which we rarely use that word we call a lot of things watered down words. If you say them too often, you know, I, it's a, you know, we never use the word bullying in the curriculum, except for one time when we let kids define what it means, because that's just a word they roll their eyes. We're going to have a bullying lesson today. I mean, they're not listening to you. So, uh, but we do this whole thing about, there's a video about bystanding where the guy's trying to put up a tent and, uh, the more people in the room, the less likely, or the longer it takes to help him. And then when there's one person in the room, it only took about eight seconds, but when there were 15, you know, it took 12 minutes. And so you can, and it's older people. So you can say like, look, this is how kind of bystanding works. And then you can relate it to a friendship. And then they're like, okay, I'm not the only one that maybe I don't want to stand up. Or, okay, maybe that happens all the time. Or look, those are older people and it's, you know, so a lot of those things in the curriculum are like, let's look at this from a distance a little bit. Now tell me what you thought about that video. Now let's slide it into you. A little bit more and letting them lead the conversation and also trying to have some fun with them, letting them debate some things and um, some days just give up and play a game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: that sounds exciting and something I definitely want to look into because it sounds like uh, Laura and I've had conversations very recently about giving students more voice into what we do and our data and what we're looking at.
2: Oh, great. I think it's, you get the buy-in instantly. I mean, when you give them an opportunity, and again, if you think about the ages we're talking about, they don't get that very often. Um, and one of the things that I love to show, and I had up in my room, uh, it, it's funny because we all train differently, but it's one of the slides I like, I always like to keep in, but I think I'm the only one, but it really helps teachers. Um, Cause a lot of times we're talking to teachers about how to do social emotional learning, which teachers know they want to do it. And they know it's important, but sometimes because they're used to being sort of the masters of their domain, the loosey goosiness a little bit can stress them out. Um, and so it's a it's a continuum. And on one side it has students as objects, in the middle, it's students as recipients, and then the last side is students as resources. I think it actually says young people, but you know, there's a time and place for students to be objects. If it's a fire drill, get in line, you know, get your rear end outside. We need to count you, it's a safety issue recipients we think of as more in the classroom. I'm teaching math or English or whatever it is, and we're having a uh, back and forth conversation. I'm asking questions. You're participating in those things. And then uh, young people's resources is more of that kind of whatever you call it, advisory time, character class time, life skill, you know, whatever the name you have uh, for that. So I think that helps teachers see that we're not asking them to give up uh, their classroom into chaos and those things. You've got a lot of kids in a building. You can't just let it be student run completely, but it shows them like there's different hats. And also it really helped with kids. I used to have kids get, so well, I have to be quiet during a fire drill. Well, here's, let me tell you why, but here's other times where you don't have to be quiet. And here's other times where you actually get to speak up and, you know, student senate student, all these other places, giving them an opportunity to be the resource is really helpful for them. So that visual used to help both my students understand why they have to, you know, be quiet during the fire drill. And also you have teachers like, oh, you're not asking me to relinquish and relinquish anything. You're asking me to wear different hats, essentially a little bit at different times.
0: I like the idea of the chart, the visual so that students can see um, what you're talking about, the why behind the what. I think that's important. Um, to get the buy-in, like what you were talking about. Yeah, it can help. Um, I'd like to dive into social media, mm. and <laughs> how that has intensified what was formerly known as relational aggression, um,
1: <laughs> and just these the artists don't formally known as friends. Exactly, exactly.
2: So, what have you seen? And let's just start there, like. What have you seen? Ash, um, I was gonna joke and say, can we not talk about social media? No, I'm just sorry. Saying. No, it's just so all encompassing, um, and I have to say, even as a parent, it's been really stressful um, because the increased dependency on it through the pandemic, and uh, you feel bad, you know, and now we're coming out of it on the other side a little bit where they're more interactive, but there's, I still see my kids, you know, the one thing recently we're like, you can't walk and look at your phone. That's a new rule in the house. You know, yeah. you're going to hurt yourself. Um, so it is, it is hard. I mean, but I do think the same, if you look at it through the lens of dignity, the same rules apply. You know, you don't get to take away someone's dignity just because it's online. Um, we do have a couple of lessons about technology. Um, And again, that's another place to start off gently and talk about what do you love about technology? Even the adults in the room, you know, I, I admit that I play Candy Crush sometimes because sometimes it's been a long day and I want 20 minutes to not think about anything other than popping a bubble or whatever it is, you know, so telling kids things like that, like I like Instagram to see my college friends, kids, you know, what do you not like about it? Sometimes my 20 minutes of Candy Crush is not just 20 minutes, you know, and I have to having to admit that. And so they like to see us admit it because so often when we're talking about social media and technology, we demonize it. And we talk about how bad it is and how bad it is for your brain. All of those can also be true. And there's also some really cool things about it. Things that we couldn't do before, things that we can look up, things that we can find. Um, And again, that's another place to come in. Like I'm the old lady in the room. Tell me how you use technology. What does it look like to you? Um, Where do you wish you would change it? And then it's a better conversation around how do we change it? Um, I ran into a parent the other day and we were talking about uh, technology and, you know, just same kind of thing, frustrated, Uh, you know, sometimes it's do as I say, not as I do, you know, as the parent, you're like, I can tell you this as a school counselor, but uh, maybe I'm not following completely through, but the technology thing, I do think we become a little hypocritical at times, you know, the don't use at the dinner table, but we're going to check our work email or... um, you know, don't, you know, you shouldn't be on, I, we used to try to get them not to do two things at once. You can either watch TV or be on your phone, but don't do both yet. You know, again, checking sometimes I'd be scrolling through my work email. Let me clear some things off my calendar for tomorrow. Um, so I do think that's one important thing in particular for parents to um, even for teachers sometimes, you know, teachers are now probably checking their phones a little bit more often when kids are in class. There is Uh, there has been a shift. I think there's a little bit more anxiety that we all have around not having it near us. Um, So I think I don't have a magic bullet for social media because I think we all have different relationships with it. I do think talking about that relationship and um, acknowledging both sides of it is helpful. And then maybe even challenging, um, change one thing. I also get really frustrated when people say, we're gonna change these four things about how we use social media. No, you're not. and then you feel like a failure and everyone's like you know upset I couldn't even do we're gonna pick one thing one thing to pick and I'm huge on that if you're trying to get a kid to change anything even the girls that are not being as kind as they could pick one thing to work on because we give them lists and we have these expectations that they're going to do these things that we are not even good at or the adults the building aren't good at so yeah have them you know I'll put it away an hour before bed that's huge if you can get them to do that or um that's also a little hard to do with parents because you're not in control of that. But get them to pick you know, pick one thing that they're willing to work on or give up. Uh, and then the meanness on social media, I, again, I go back to dignity doesn't stop just face-to-face. It should be carried throughout how, whether it's on social media, that's still you. You're still representing yourself. And then in some ways I'd remind people, it's also like much easier to capture. <laughs> you know, like I mean, I would tease other girls. I was like, if you say it to someone, I don't know if, if who's telling the truth. You know, if you say yes, and she said no, I'm not sure who did so I'm not you know, but if you write it down and someone brings a screenshot, I'm pretty sure I know what you did online. Now that is, I would say that's kind of the back end because you don't want to start off with that scare tactic. You know, um, Rosalind actually was huge on this a couple years ago about why are we telling kids if they make one mistake online their life is over think about the pressure that we're putting on them. um, And the how stressful that is to think about, like you do one thing and then they do one thing wrong. Are they going to tell you or talk through it or work? They're gonna you know, deny and deflect and the parents are panicking because they're not gonna get into college where all of that really isn't necessarily true. Yes, there are some extreme cases where it might affect a college entrance or something, but we are stressing kids out to the point where we can't learn from it because no one can admit it because they're fearing the consequences too severe. So working through that with them a little bit of uh, yes, colleges might peruse your your Instagram or whatever it is. So do you want to have a bunch of pictures of you with the red solo cup? They know what that is, They know what that means? No. Is it necessarily going to deny your college entrance? No, but if they're deciding between two people somewhat equally, you know maybe, but not making it so dire, not making it that your life is ending because again, it, you're just you're chokeholding the ability to talk about it later.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. Um, I know, you know, when you're talking about the social media, there's a lot of, uh, it's the same thing in the, in the respect of it's so hard to, it's so hard to deal with for counselors is the social media and the conflict with Mm -hmm. that, with that queen, the queen bee conflict kind of thing. Those are so hard to, conquer i guess because it's Mm -hmm. almost like there's a disconnect and not a reality and i like the seal i like the the um giving talking points giving giving some meat to Mm -hmm. you know something for counselors to say and i'll just throw this out here and i guess it's just because i was a high school counselor uh saying this and you guys can can tell me what you think about this but i always tell when i call a parent to discuss it about um, their their child, you know. I always say I, they're moving on from me. You know, I'm not doing this because a lot of times they uh, and this is worked, A lot of times parents feel like there's no way that this my child is the is the mm-hmm. the person that's that's doing saying these things. And 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 I always say they're going to move on from me. You are going to have that high schooler, and I've been on the other end. And that, if you, if we can't control it at the elementary or mm-hmm. maybe even the middle school and, you know, that seems to, once they realize I'm not in it to, they're moving on from me. You're going to have this person and what, how can you help me, you know, acknowledge that this is a problem, whether it's on social media or, uh, but you're right on social media, you actually can catch them. I mean, you can say, yeah. no, this is you, right. um, <laughs> you are you know, um, a gang of you have have gathered and you're flipping off and sending it to another student in the school. And for what reason, we don't know. You know, these these are things that happen. So I know there's not another question in that. It's just that discussing it as counselors, how do you get parents to realize this is an issue and how can we address this together? If, do you have any tips on that?
2: Well, <laughs> I mean, there's so many of these tips with school counseling. I'm like, I would be a millionaire if I could fix these things so easily and write a and write but, a book. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's because you're dealing with people, and and I had one head of middle school. He'd be like, How can we be more proactive? And and I would always say, We can instill, you know, these programs and uh, have these classes, but you're dealing with a million different personalities, perspectives you know, uh, baggage from their own upbringing with parents and how they're being raised at home and all these things. So you can only be so proactive, but I do. Um, one of the things I, I was thinking about this next, I was kind of relooking at some of the questions just to refresh my brain a little bit. And I remember in particular, we had a class of students, uh, and they were just a lot of strong personalities, parents wise, um, and I think I look back and it was a lot of onlys and firstborns, you know, so there might've been a little bit more anxiety on the parent side. And I remember I would sometimes avoid, uh, or I would put off the phone call I needed to make home because I knew it would <laughs> I'm like, oh, I should really check in with that parent, but oh, whoops, I'll do it tomorrow. My day is instantly, yeah, you know, absolutely. The- And what I did is I ended up putting a sticky on my desk with a couple of parents' uh, names and I would call them and just check in a little bit because their kids were actually having a hard time trying to remember that human side of it, of uh, their stress and they're panicking um, and it's not showing their best side and me avoiding it and just kind of uh, pushing it off a couple of days and letting them stew in it is just letting them stew in it. So I would try to be proactively calling them again, as proactive as you can. And I really had one parent come back later and be like, thank you. You know, I kind of needed that check-in and it honestly saved me time because I was making the phone call before another situation kind of, Came about. Um, now, you can't do that with every every scenario, but I do think heading it on. Um, and I think my role I always looked at, you know, I would leave meetings sometimes with a head of school that would say, or a principal or a teacher would say, well, they're just crazy or they're just this. And I would always try to pause in that moment and say, you know, yes, they may have been acting a little crazy <laughs> in this moment but they are not crazy. They're either scared, uh, they're hurt, they're angry at their child, but don't you know. There's a lot of other emotions going on that we perhaps don't know what they are. Um, and so I looked at my role as just the listening. Let me listen to the parent, let them kind of vent. Um, and then, you know, some of the best parent scenarios were when you could push back gently. You know, the parent really would respect that. Uh, but, I, but you are, you are right. Kim, it is that it's hard. It depends on the relationship with the parent. Um, some will be blindly one way. You know, I also laugh like, because I work at a school, my kid's always wrong. I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> you know, like my kids are like, can't you yeah. take my side once? I'm like, no, you did something. I don't know what it was, but I just I'm trying to find small ways to partner. Um, I think that's great. Yeah, I, I mean, I think what that. you're saying is, is right on Get in
1: that, get to, to be, proactive like you're saying and maybe have conversations past that like how's it going and and once they realize you've nothing to gain by uh you know accusing their child absolutely you are just there to help them but it does take that I think that's wonderful what you're saying and it's good for us to remember as school counselors to use that relationship building tools and listen to the parents and usually when we do listen we we get a lot and we listen with an empathetic ear, we really get to the bottom of what's bothering them. And and probably like you're saying, their fears too.
2: Yeah. Of yeah. Whether
1: they're admitting that or not.
2: Well, you made me just think of something and I'm, I know I'm saying we're not doing a principles podcast, but again, we do have these principles that we use often in um, they have really honestly helped me tremendously. And one of them is, you know, being uh, listening is being prepared to be changed by what you hear. And I always clarify that with, it doesn't mean changing your opinion, but it, it could change your understanding of where that parent is coming from. So even the child also like you, they may not, uh, you may not suddenly say, okay, you're right. I should let your child get away with this because they're having a hard time, but you might understand, you might an insight into the parents parent is sick. Mm-hmm. And they're not feeling present. And so they're trying to, you know, they're they're feeling like they're pulled in different ways and they're trying to overcompensate or something. But it just gives you an understanding maybe of what's going on, that listening piece. Um, and when we're trying to rush through it because we're just trying to check it off and say, Yeah, yeah, I checked in with them. <laughs> yep, I checked in with that parent today. You know, we're not really being that kind of authentic listener. Um, so yeah, you're and I also like what you said about remember, I'm on your kids' side. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm I'm actually the person, the advocate for them here more than anyone, you know else. So yeah.
0: Well, and that makes me think, Kim and I have said a lot of times that we are the counselor. We're not mm-hmm. the administrator. The administrator is there for a reason, and the counselor, we are there for a reason. And so when you bring that other perspective in, like, hey, guys, let me just shed a little light, you know, not breaching confidentiality, of course, but just, Letting them know that, you know, Kim and I always say everybody has a story. And when we know that person's story, sometimes it brings some compassion into the room where maybe there wasn't before. And so I think what you're saying just really um, drives home that point that you're the counselor. You're there for a reason. No better way to advocate for the child than to go
2: straight to the parent and figure out the whole story. What's really going on? hmm Yes. And parenting isn't easy. No, I mean, let's be clear, you know, when we in in for some people, the social emotional skills come a little bit more naturally. And I had a parent one time, it was the best thing that ever happened to be talked about how parenting was so out of her. She was this big executive at a corporation here. And she said, parenting is just really hard for me. I don't understand a lot of these different nuances. And I thought, wow, I think I might've been judging her more than I, you know, I try not to, but I think in my head, I was like, why well, can't she kind of figured this out. And when she said that, it just, I was like, oh my gosh, she's working as hard as she can. You know, just those gentle reminders sometimes because we can get caught up in thinking like, what is wrong with them? You know, why don't they? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I also tell parents too, we have to know the whole story. You know, yeah. not the whole story. Obviously they can keep their privacy to a degree, but if I don't know grandma's sick, yeah, you know, I don't know how to help or to understand if Jill is lashing out because mom's been, you know, out of town for two months taking care of grandma. You know, so... It really helps, I think I encourage parents to give the counselor information. And so then that way if something happens, and I always always ask, what are you comfortable with me sharing? Right. You know, who do you want to know? And what are you comfortable with me telling them to what degree? Because in high school, it gets some of the situations can be pretty yeah, uh, intense. Yeah. You know, so you have to be careful of what you share, but asking permission first, you know, what which teachers, who can I talk to? Who are who is your child's adult? Who's your ally? You know, who's the person for them to go find? Can I let them know? So those types of things. Also, can I let your child know? I know. Cause sometimes parents tell you things and they don't tell their kid they called and I'm like, oh gosh, you know, you need to make sure I know, uh, that we all know what's going on. Yeah.
1: That's good. That is very good. Uh, I know our time is getting short. This is just absolutely flown by and, uh, I've got quite a drive home, but I, 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 I wanted to say anything else that, uh, Laura, was there anything else we really wanted to make sure that we
2: addressed?
0: Well, I know we've talked about the owning up curriculum. What other resources would you suggest for counselors? Well, I was,
2: yeah, I was, saw that question. I was laughing a little, I, don't, I was like, well, I love her resources, of course. Um, yeah. But yes, yeah, so the owning up curriculum. And when we do have these things called tiny guides. Um, and they are exactly what they sound like. They're small guides, and they talk about. I think we have non-dry blank, whether it's 16 or 18, I think it's 16 of them, and they talk about anxiety, uh, self-compassion, uh, emotional granularity, helping kids understand what they're actually feeling. Um, and they're done. Uh, we did them um, uh Megan Saxelby, who's a consultant with us, was it was her brand child and they're just really well done art-wise and all that, so they're very fun. Um, and I love them. Uh, and then we also, you know, we work with Lisa DeMoore uh, sometimes, and she's, she's demore.com. She wrote Untangled and Under Pressure. Um, and then I was, I signed up for this Parenting Summit came across my, uh, Teen Health Parenting Summit came across my desk because of another one of our consultants, Shantara McBride. And so I watched her the other night. It's, a, it's kind of a cool, all these virtual things, you can watch them for 24 hours. And I love Shantara. She and Rosalind are writing a book together right now. She's uh, She was the first person that trained me many, many years ago when they worked together. But she has a, uh, a website, marvelousuniversity.com. And so she works a lot with girls as well, but she does, um, she just really tries to help she's like, be marvelous. That is her whole, I'm I'm not going to articulate it well, because it's so great how she does it. She just does it with this big smile, but, um, trying to build confidence in kids. And she really talks about how we approach them and talk to them in different ways at a young age about, um, their bodies. She has a book called love your jiggle, and she means jiggles the whole body, not just what actually jiggles, you know, as you, as you get a little older, but she means like your jiggle is just your body and how to love it and how to appreciate it. And so she is also wonderful. Um, and then Donna Hicks is who we, uh, she does a lot of work with Dignity. She is, she, we don't over, uh, we don't step on toes cause she's kind of in the business world and uh, she she's worked with companies and politics and all those things, but we work with her a lot. She's written a foreword for us in the owning up curriculum. Um, she doesn't want to get involved in education but we talk to each other a lot about Dignity and how it applies and her work is great. She has a book, I think, called "Dignity and Leadership." If I'm getting that correct, uh, but she's amazing.
1: Oh, this sounds good, and a lot of a lot of new things for me that I'm hearing. So, I love that. I love the, to get these fresh fresh ideas, and 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 I, uh, so this is this is fantastic. Um, started with queen bees and Wannabees, and now it's moved into all so much more of of, of what we're hearing in this conversation, but. Thank you so much, Carrie. I feel like the, um,
0: seal, that you, the SEAL acronym, that uh-huh. is so helpful. And that's something that our listeners re- love, those rubber meets the road techniques that they can walk away with and implement. And that is something that I feel like is going to help so many counselors. So that alone, plus all these other nuggets that you threw in, this has been really, really great. And I appreciate you yeah. taking the time and sharing your wisdom with us.
2: You are you are welcome. It's been really fun. Like I said, I could do these conversations all day. Cause it's I'm so tired of blank screens. Yeah. You know, so thank you guys for having me on. Um, it's been really fun and I'm always excited to talk about our work because I love it. And again, when I was a counselor, um it worked. You know, I, I feel yeah. that's why I feel so connected and passionate about it because I really felt I saw it in action in the classroom.
0: Thank right. you again for being thank with us. Guys. And um we need to do it again because I know there's a whole lot more that you could talk about.
2: (laughs) Don't get me started. Give her any
1: subject. I think we could give her any subject. She's such a great counselor. She knows. She knows. I've learned so
0: much. I'm going to be a better counselor tomorrow because of this conversation.
2: Absolutely. Easier said than done. Not every day was a good day. Let's you know. I'm I'm giving you the highlights of what you know. Things that went well. So don't worry. There are plenty (laughs) of days where things don't go the way you plan. Yeah.
1: Oh, thank you for saying that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I was gonna say then you go back and
2: repair, right? Then you go back and yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank right. you so thank you much. Guys,
1: fabulous. Talk about a font. Talk about a
0: font. She could she was a specialist on all things, I feel like. Yeah. I just want, want her formerly known as relational aggression, but everything.
1: She you said everything. the artist formerly known as the relational greatest. I might have. I like that. So um, there were a lot of takeaways
0: from her and I was taking notes while she was talking. I couldn't write fast enough, but there were lots of practical, what we call rubber meets the road um, things that I feel like we can turn around and implement
1: now. yeah So yeah. I really enjoyed that. I did too. And like I said, I, I want her to be my school counselor. I feel like she's just a little bit of everything. She knows yeah. a little bit of everything. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I want
0: to go back to something that you said in the intro where you talked about how you're a long haul COVID person. May I address an elephant in the room? And that is that you tested negative on COVID and yet now you're a long haul COVID? <laughs> like... Now you've got the survivor <laughs> ribbon and everything, everything. If you, if you were to go back to your medical records, it would show. And They'd I mean, like, there mm. really is no doubt that you had it. I know. I know that. Your whole yep. family tested positive and you had now, all the
1: But let me just say, I'm one of those weird people. Like I never, t- I, I never could t- have t- positive for anything. And, I, and also, let me tell you this. Not I can for lack put my of hand. Trying. Not for lack of trying. You don't try lack to try for everything. I can put my hand under the sink and the water does not recognize me. (laughs) I mean, the water won't even recognize me. Like I'll have to, a lady over here, hey, could you put your hand under here so the water will come out? It's because you're so dainty. That's what it is. It's like the doors will not open when I go to a grocery store, you know, like everybody else will automatically open and I'll have to get a bigger person with the bigger girth. Please hear my heart and don't take offense. So that That is why you hang out with me. to come stand so the doors will actually open oh now I, get it.
0: now I understand why you have taken me on as a friend it's that's it's right. not anything but my size and stature. That's it. That's it. No. How that funny. is funny. That is funny. I just got to thinking I was like wait a minute you tested negative. No, now you're so like oh you other long haulers out there
1: band <laughs> together and I'm like you were negative. You ratted me out now <laughs>
0: No, I'm sure uh,
1: you know. uh, <laughs> All
0: right. Well, to our faithful listeners, thank you so much for listening, and we're so sorry that we've gotten off track on our Monday release schedule.
1: But well, I thought she was going to apologize for the cow. Like, how did we get on the cow does. and their gas? Talked
0: about gas.
1: Yeah. Um, but no, we. I'm sorry
0: that we're not. We're going to get back into the swing of things on releasing these episodes on Mondays, but it may be after testing season. And you know, you're really a school counselor if you understand what this season actually brings. And so, or maybe you're
1: a real counselor if you don't have to do testing because you hey, pulled the data good. and yeah. you presented said data it's true, and it's true. they're like, that is not in your job description, but we're not there yet. So we will be testing. How about we? Have- Yeah, we'll try. We may get
0: back on our schedule after this season because this season brings like with the flowers and the like pollen, it brings craziness. No matter where you are, you understand what spring semester as a school counselor is. So when this season passes, we'll get back into our Monday routine. But thank you for your patience. You can follow us on Facebook. You can join our uh, newsletter group. We send out freebies every now and then. You can follow us on Instagram. You can rate and review our podcast because it's either going to make us better or it's going to let other people find us. Or Laura will finally realize what's going on with her. I'll finally (laughs) try to fix some of these things. Yeah,
1: but thank you very much. And I hope everyone has a great week.